up, nerds? This is In My Expert Opinion, a podcast about the nonfiction side of speculative fiction. Your hosts are Dr. Marcus Cole. I get paid to do science. Dr. Sarah Ward. I used to do science. And me, Abby Cole. I'm not a scientist at all. Join us as we geek out about the made-up stuff we love and the real stuff that shaped it. Today we're going to talk about Persona 5 and tarot cards, but first, we have to congratulate Sarah. This is our first recording since she became a doctor. Congratulations, Sarah. Thank you. Meow, 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 meow. Thank you. That's actually the greatest thing I've ever seen. Oh my God. Uh, Abby's reggae (laughs) horn is the best. (laughs) It's truly the greatest gift I could have received at this moment in time. Oh, man. Okay, yeah. So congratulations, Sarah. Now I'm officially the least educated person here. (laughs) Uh, You love to see it. I can't get a doctorate, though, because then we'd had two Dr. Coles and that would be a problem. Uh, No one would ever be able to tell us apart. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, there's clearly no other difference between (laughs) you and me. (laughs) Anyway. Anyway. Persona 5 is a 2016 role-playing video game developed by Atlas. And it is the sixth installment in the Persona series. By role-playing, you mean JRPG specifically. Yes, JRPG, yes. That's a a pretty important distinction. What's the J stand for? Japanese. Ah, thank you. Yeah. Um, It was released for the PlayStation 3 and PlayStation 4 in Japan in September 2016, and then worldwide in April 2017. This past year, well, in 2019 in Japan, Persona 5 Royal came out. And in 2020, it was available worldwide as well. I haven't played this. And there's also an anime, which I haven't watched. Marcus, I think you have zero familiarity with this franchise. Uh, Yes, that would be correct. Dude, get fucking ready. This shit is crazy. <laughs> yeah, I want to go through a brief rundown of it. It's an incredible game, but it is going to sound like truly a fever dream. The ravings try of a to madman. describe it. Yeah, <laughs> it's really well executed, but it's going to sound bonkers. Okay. So here's the deal. <laughs> you, uh, the protagonist are this high school kid and you're accused of assault because you stopped this dude from trying to rape this woman and so you are sent away on probation to live with this old man who runs a coffee and curry shop in tokyo so you're on probation now okay so one day you and your buddy ryuji who is like the quote-unquote delinquent type from high school that sort of anime trope he's like blonde and a punk oh okay Uh, you're on your way to school and you get like sucked into the metaverse. And the metaverse is like this alternate dimension that is like overlaid on Tokyo. Um, And it's like where people's psyches are manifest as like buildings and monsters. So like the first time you show up, for example, there's you're like going to school, but instead of going to school, there's a castle because you stumble into the volleyball coach's psyche and he thinks that he's like a king of the school. So he's got like a castle that he's the king of in this metaverse. Okay. Uh, One question. Mm -hmm. Sure. Uh, So in this metaverse, is this like a technological metaverse where you have to wear like VR or like use some kind of neural implant to get into the metaverse or this more like a magical Um, type thing? It's kind of both. Oh, okay. You get in through an app on your phone. Man. (laughs) You do do enter through an app on your phone, but it is a metaphysical, like mystical kind of place. 
Because it is like your psyche representation and not exactly. like an actual technological thing, if that makes sense. So it's both. Yeah. Yep. There's a big old uh, crypto connection to the metaverse, uh, surprisingly, for things exactly like this, where you could kind of go and occupy someone else's brain space and use their coins and all kinds of weird shit. But I, I digress. Get back to your topic. Interesting. But that's all I was uh, thinking yeah, right now. <laughs> what I'm planning on saying is also going to sound like a digression, even though it's not. So you get into the metaverse and you meet this talking cat named Morgana. <laughs> Morgana, whatever. And this talking cat is like, I'm a phantom thief. Why don't you be a phantom thief with me? And it's like a cartoon cat when you're in the metaverse. But Mm -hmm. in the real world, it's just a regular cat that you like carry around in your duffel bag and like shove in your desk at school. Can it talk in the real world? And also he still talks to you. Oh, okay. Yeah, it can talk. Once you've heard it talk in the real, in the metaverse, you can hear it talk in the real world. That's dope. Okay. You're also occasionally imprisoned in another alternate dimension where this creepy old guy is like sitting at a desk and these young twin girls are your wardens who like rattle your cage and shit anyway in this alternate dimension uh is where you create personas okay personas are like representations of your soul and you use them to fight monsters in the metaverse this is awesome i actually think marcus if you have access to a playstation you should definitely just play this game because it's this is an incredible i do have a a ps4 and you could play persona 5 royal which i have not had access to anyway Mm. so these personas are like mythical creatures and figures from all over the world so there's like kelpies and Pixies. There's one that's like Dionysus. Satan is one that you can make. Mm-hmm. It's a free for all of it's all a mythology. Free for all, yes. And you take on these personas as you're fighting, like you become them, or they like no, kind it's of basically like come Pokemon out of your body. style. Uh, oh, they okay. float over your head, sort of behind uh, you. And then in poke, like as in Pokemon style, you're like you say the name of it, like Goemon, kind of thing, and then it like does its attack. Got it. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So all of your buddies who end up fighting on your team have just like one persona that they use, mm-hmm. uh, but you, the hero of the story, can make a billion fucking personas and use different powers because you are special and you can access all these different things. So basically, you start a team of the Phantom Thieves. All high schoolers. All high schoolers, yes, thank you. Uh, <laughs> rowdy teens. I love these teens so much. Also, the whole storyline is like absolute bisexual chaos, which yeah. I'm always I'm always on board with. <laughs> anyway, uh, you go around in the metaverse, quote unquote, stealing the hearts of as Ryuji refers to them, shitty adults to stop them from like doing terrible things in the real world, like abusing children and raping people and murdering people and shit like that. Oh yeah, uh, actually the storyline sounds kind of light right now. It's actually incredibly bleak. The first palace is explicitly about like a high school coach who's like sexually abusing students yep. and Damn. and physically abusing them. And then it just kind of like really goes downhill from there in terms of like the quality of people that you have to interact with. It's all very bad. It's real bleak. Uh, so you're like, anyway, here I go to make. <laughs> Make, like coffee curry with my friends kind of thing. Also, I have to stop this serial rapist murderer. Yes. Okay, yeah. Sarah brings up an excellent point. So you have to develop relationships with your confidants, quote unquote confidants, which is going to be like a key part of what we talk about today mm-hmm. uh, in the real world, because like by hanging out with them and helping them out and stuff, you're able to make your personas stronger. So like if you have, if you're like great buddies with Ryuji, then anything that's like under his subset of personas is going to be stronger than it otherwise would be. So be better uh, closer to your buddies and stuff. You have to like go to school and take tests and eat hamburgers and study and go to the spa and make coffee. You go on a lot of dates. You go on a lot of dates with a lot of different people, some of whom you absolutely should not be on a date with, like your physician. (laughs) Or your teacher. Your teacher. The fucking... Your teacher shows up in a maid outfit occasionally. It's just like... Whoa, okay. (laughs) It's very bad. So your relationships in this game are 100% transactional, effectively. I mean, depending on how you look at it, 
I enjoy the storyline aspect of it, although some of them I would not pursue the storyline if I did not receive concrete fighting benefits. Yeah. <laughs> like some of them are cool because you just like have the RPG style of, oh, now I'm really good friends with this person. And I unlock a lot of dialogue with them. Like we get all this cool lore stuff. Like mm-hmm. that's all very cool. And then some of it's like, I never want to speak to this person again, but I do need them to like me so that I can make Satan. So, right, because Satan's very powerful. Right. Yeah. You can also do romancy stuff, as we alluded to. And also Matt Mercer is there. Matt Mercer is the uh, English dub of one of your buddies, which tickles me. Oh, also, yes. actually, one of the people is voiced by the guy who voices Tuxedo Mask, which is- Of Sailor Moon. Yes, of, t- <laughs> of Sailor Moon fame. <laughs> so yeah, that's uh, that's about it with Persona 5. Pretty straightforward stuff, right? Uh- <laughs> Sure, let's kind go of. with straightforward. <laughs> <laughs> the first time Abby explained this game to me, I was like, I literally have no idea what you're talking about. I like cannot deal with this. <laughs> it, yeah. I, I have one uh, more question before you uh, get into the, the depths of this. Yes. Is there any tentacle porn in this game? No. Okay. I don't even think they reference it. Cool. I don't even think there's an octopus persona. You know what? That just made it a lot easier for me to want to play this game then. I just wanted to ensure That's that fair. I wasn't going <laughs> to happen into some kind of persona. It's like, well, I'm just seeing a lot of tentacle porn while I'm playing this game. No, I mean, there are some very scantily clad ladies. Yeah. And like I said, your teacher shows up in a maid outfit. Like the right. fact that some of the people you're trying to take down are like abusive adults who are often yeah. men kind of thing, like does kind of play a role. Mm-hmm. There is a monster that's like literally just a penis though. Oh God, um, I forgot about that one. <laughs> Yeah, you're right. Monster. You see it in Kamoshidas, right? Or in the first palace yeah, or whatever? In the first palace, there's a it's like just a big old It's just a dick. Dick made of jello, basically. <laughs> yeah. So there is some stuff like that and like Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I don't want to get too much more into it because it is like a lot. Yeah. I would just say go play it. It's incredible. What I do want to talk about is tarot cards. And I know that doesn't sound relevant to anything I've big said. Big old yet. leap there. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <No>, okay, so <laughs> so the uh tarot cards are related to this game in that your confidants, like your buddies and the people you form relationships with, are each assigned um one of the quote unquote major arcana from tarot cards. Okay. And these are like the if you're not familiar, these are like the 22 cards that don't correspond to any of the four suits of tarot cards um, and they have like different symbolic meanings and stuff. So this is stuff like the sun or like yeah, judgment, like the, the world. sun, judgment, the world, the high priestess, whatever. So like Ryuji, your buddy, for example, is like linked to the chariot arcana. Okay. But I'll explain what that is all about in a minute. First, I want to do a shout out to Franco Protesi, who shout I'm out. going to be. Yeah, shout out. Shout out. Uh, I'm going to be citing him more than anyone else because as far as I can tell, he is like the guy for tarot research. He's a professor of material science and games in Florence. Now, when you say material science, I'm not going to lie. That really did take me by surprise when you said he's an expert on tarot cards. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Material science <laughs> and games. <laughs> wow. So unless I say otherwise, you can assume I'm citing his work. Uh, And I'll, you know, link to those as usual in the episode description. So tarot cards, as they're known uh, in English, they were originally called trionfi or taroki or tarak, depending on where you're coming from. Okay. Uh, This episode is going to be a lot of me butchering Italian (laughs) BT dubs. So So they they originated in Italy? They did originate in Italy. Yes. In the mid 15th century, they're originally just playing cards, though. They're currently by most people, as far as I knew anyway, I think in most people's understanding, they tend to be like these sort of mystical fortune-telling divinatory things, but Mm -hmm. that's not actually something that comes 
until much later. Oh. Well, the minor arcana are basically just playing cards because you have like a bunch of numbers of like swords and cups and wands and stuff, right? Yeah, exactly. Like the five of wands, which is basically just like saying the five of clubs. Okay, so like the Persona 5 interpretation of like, or use of the tarot in the game is closer aligned with the original kind of spirit of tarot cards. No. No, with the uh, major arcana. Uh, the, okay. So the card with suit, the suits with numbers are the minor arcana, and that's what used to be used in like playing cards, it sounds mm-hmm. like. They were all used in playing cards, actually. Oh, okay. Playing cards in general were introduced into Europe in like the 14th century, and then tarot is in the mid-15th century, and primarily in like Milan and Ferrara, Florence, and I don't know how to say this, but is it Bologna? <laughs> it's not Bologna. It's Bologna. 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 I don't Bologna. know. I think it's Bologna. 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 God, that's embarrassing. <laughs> no, the G is definitely silent. <laughs> <laughs> I think the G is actually the biggest point of emphasis in the word. Bologna. <laughs> As Sarah was alluding to, uh, These are like regular playing decks plus the sort of allegorical illustrations. And it wasn't until the late 18th century that they began to be used for divination or what's called cartomancy, which is, you know, divination through cards. Okay. This cartomancy thing started in Paris during the 1780s with the French occultist Etiela or Jean-Baptiste Aliette, whatever. I don't know. Hmm. Uh, (laughs) All right. Anyway, this dude created the first deck that was specific for divinatory purposes um, and like sort of thematically linked it to ancient Egypt. But again, like I said, originally they were just playing cards and uh, there's no evidence linking their origins, no historical evidence rather, linking their origins to any other divinatory systems of the ancient world. Um, Although many, many, many French people in the 17 and 1800s would tell you otherwise. Sure. So there, as Sarah said, there are four suits uh, with the minor arcana. These suits go like ace, one, two, three, ten. There's no particular association with professions or anything as it are seen in other games such as chess. So like where chess has like a bishop, knight, whatever. Mm-hmm. These are just numerical things. Um, then there are also court cards of each suit. So you've got page, knight, queen, and king. It's not entirely certain whether these were originally part of the four suits. Like it could have been a discrete suit uh, and sort of merged over time. And then finally, like I said, there are these triumph, or sorry, this other, the major arcana are these quote unquote triumphal cards, which is like the trump cards suit, basically. It sounds like you're basically playing with a normal deck of cards and yeah. then like 22 jokers. <laughs> no, only one joker. No, but you know, yes, there's only one joker. That's the protagonist nickname, by the way, Marcus. Oh, yes, really? it is the protagonist nickname, uh, yeah. Yeah, he goes by joker. No, but you know what I mean? Like, it sounds like you're playing with all these like normal cards cards and then you're like um, I'm gonna play the sun I'm gonna play the empress it's like okay no that's well. exactly how it works and I didn't look into for the purposes of this I'm not gonna like explain games you can play with these cards mm-hmm. um, because that seemed like it wouldn't be a great listen <laughs> I could be wrong anyway uh, so these triumphal cards are a separate suit with 21 cards and the fool which is that joker sort of analog that doesn't really pertain to either the sequence of those cards or any of the suits these major arcana w- or greatest secrets is what they're called when you're looking at these cards in divinatory contexts. The triumphal cards are in a specific order. Um, Pertesi, who I was referring to before, remarks that there's like, quote unquote, persistent uncertainty on their origin and meeting and order. So I'm going to throw out a bunch of theories here, but basically there's not any particular concrete, like this is how they came to be kind of thing. Although we can certainly say that they did not come from ancient Egypt, as some people claim. Really? People think that they're old? They, they say that the meaning is from ancient Egypt. 
Egypt and they like whatever. I just thought they were like medieval. You know what I mean? Well, they are medieval, but is 15th century still medieval? Uh, Medieval, usually the cutoff is at the end of the 1400s. So yeah. Okay, awesome. I think typically so, yes. a lot of people say like discovery of quote unquote new world is kind of a an easy way of looking at it. I'm oh, sure okay. a lot of historians would like not like how reductive or whatever that is, but that's my general understanding is that that's like kind of the cutoff point. Yeah, that, that makes sense. sense. Uh, I honestly, up until today and talking about this topic, I was under the impression that tarot cards were far more ancient than they actually are. But I feel like that's I associate mysticism with just age. Old. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Well, this is something that like, you know, I'll get into divinatory stuff more specifically in a minute, but mm -hmm. like this is what all of these French occultists were kind of going for is like, oh, yes, this divinatory the process goes ways. back to the beginning of time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, okay. Anyway, Protesi says that there does, for most games that you play with these cards, there does need to be an ordered sequence, but because most people at the time couldn't read, they like like memorized sonnets to remember the order of the cards. Wild. Okay. Yeah. I was going to insert a sonnet here, um, but I could only find sonnets in Italian. And so I'm not going to, but basically in order to know, because like sun, moon, priestess, emperor, there's no like numerical sequence that you can just know by hearing what the cards are called. Yeah. So they memorize these sonnets to know the order. So are you saying that there's generally a bunch of different ways of looking at the order? Because my understanding was that there is an order and I've always seen it referred to as like the fool going on the journey so in recent history it has um, recent history since the late 1700s okay. it has become <laughs> it has recent. sort of started to settle yeah, yeah it's fairly <laughs> recent uh since the 1700s it has settled into actually sort of two orders okay they're almost the same although this one english deck that i'm gonna talk about in a bit the one that actually most americans are familiar with the rider weight deck mm -hmm. um switches the order of two of them but that uh sort of concrete order came into being a little bit later it's hard to say whether or not like according to these sonnets that people use to memorize the order of the tarot cards it's in different orders with different sonnets yeah. so it wasn't until later on that it got like squared away that sounds like a recent addition of just being like an extra mystical element of and actually it's like this kind of thing and it's even more symbolic than you thought it was yes uh, there's a great segue i want to talk about a little bit of protesti's theories about like or how he explains explores these different theories about how these triumphal cards came into being. Mm -hmm. One of these ideas is that it's a single series in a continuous sequence like this kind of story that you're referring to. So Pertesi, in a characteristically academics way of being snarky, sneer quotes, okay. says experts <laughs> have attributed the sequence to the Kabbalah or Egyptians, but that's not possible just based on when the cards came into being. So he says, no, absolutely not, <laughs> uh, quote unquote experts. Okay. So it's not even like there's like an Egyptian-like mythology that does accurately correspond or rather that did directly lead to the order of right the that seems cards. like it's fully just like a 1700s french occultist who are like and actually it's very old <laughs> yeah exactly and no one will question me and don't talk about it yeah <laughs> exactly Anyway, Protesi says that like if there was going to be this sort of single series order, like single continuous sequence thing, it would have had to be based in a text that was like very familiar at the time, but also practically forgotten now because we can't find it, right? We can't like, there's no book that's like, and here's the story that corresponds exactly to these 22 triumphal you know, cards. That's actually a pretty good point that that cannot be found. So it probably doesn't exist. Right. I mean, that's his thing. He's like, I don't, guys, <laughs> listen. 
I can't tell if you're making fun of me or 17th century or 18th century French mystics. No, no, no. I mean, because I think this kind of goes back to how we were talking about like the Thieves and Assassins Guild and everyone's like, guys, for real, listen, there definitely is a 500 year old secret society in the sewers of France. I do not have evidence of it, but I'm telling you it's real. Don't fucking question me. Exactly. And they it's have their exactly roots like that. Yeah. With, uh, turtles with candles on their back and all of these yeah exactly and it's like and everyone's like trust me it definitely exists <laughs> it definitely like, was real okay but like you don't have any proof of it yeah uh so protesti's like no i don't think there's like one thing that explains the entire sequence there's another uh famous tarot guy who came up a lot in my research but he only wrote a book and didn't have pdfs available online so <laughs> i uh i don't i didn't use him as a direct source but this guy michael dummett who is another famous tarot man, he suggests that uh, the order of the cards is like, and the and the things that are on the cards has nothing to do with any mythology or story of any kind and is instead entirely random in what I call the stock photo theory. <laughs> he just thought they were pretty. Like people were like, yeah, this is gonna look fucking dope, man. Put a no, sun honestly, behind that guy. Dummett suggests that basically these 22 were selected sort of randomly from standard images available to printers at the time. Oh, interesting. So like there's only so many like wood etched or like- Exactly. Uh, like wood etched blocks that you could use on the printing press. So they were like, okay, well, I guess we're gonna call that one the moon. So- Yeah, uh, that there were just like standard okay. images available and then that's what they randomly picked. That's And funny. that there is no particular order. Protest he doesn't uh, agree with this theory either because in most of the images and stuff there aren't like a bunch of common objects or anything like they don't have like clocks and swords and hammers and other random shit that would have just been around or like Mm -hmm. symbols of kingdoms like roses and fleur-de-lis and stuff like that so Protesti says like if it was just random easily available stuff you'd see you know some French royal iconography because that's what people would put down yeah so Protesti says I think it's some of both it is neither a single sequence nor is it random local may local be yeah so one thing he posits is that like it could be that originally there were things that were sort of sequenced that got smushed together like okay these four are the four elements or these are the four virtues or whatever and then over time these disparate unified chunks came into one cohesive sequence. That makes sense. I mean, because some of it is kind of paired up like that, right? Like you do have the sun and the moon, the emperor and the empress. Right. You know, the fool and the magician. Like there's like a bunch of like Mm -hmm. pairs, I feel like, or even like sets of three that kind of make sense that are kind of thrown in the mix. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So his theory is that like it's too, the series of the cards is too significant for it to be totally random, but too random for it to be like purposefully from the beginning exactly set in one way. So Protesi also puts forth a list of texts that sort of fit into that category of like ubiquitous at the time, but not super well known now that like could theoretically be related. I don't want to belabor these too much because the moral of the story with each of them is like, this is kind of like it, but not good enough. So it might have partly influenced it, but not all the way. Um, (laughs) So uh, one of these is, oh God, here we go with the Italian and Latin guys. Let's do it. One of these is I Trionfi by Petrarch. You guys know Petrarch? That name does sound familiar, actually. Yeah, kind of. Petrarch of Petrarchan sonnets. He's like a 14th century Italian poet. Wait, is Petrarch from the Parks and Rec thing? Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Shit. They read a Petrarch poem at Lil Sebastian's, at Lil Sebastian's funeral. funeral and yeah. Donna has to read it. And she like butchers Italian or whatever. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Anyway, this E Triumphi was a series of poems uh, written about like victorious generals after a war, uh, looking at the 
quote unquote triumphs Mm -hmm. of love, chastity, fame, death, time, and eternity. Some of those, um, some of those seem to be the same thing to me. Time and eternity. Yeah. So this, this person, uh, this scholar Gertrude Moakley suggests that this is a source for tarot cards or for, sorry, for the, uh, triumphs. Mm -hmm. Protesius sees it as a possible partial thing, but also he's like, these are not the same as the 22. There's six of them and only one of them is actually one of the archons. He's like, ah, I don't think so. (laughs) Then we're looking at the Tracticus de Deificatione Sexdecim Heroum by Marziano de Tartona in the 1410s, which is a pack painted for Filippo Maria Misconti by Michelino. Man, these people got a lot of names. Damn. Abby, your Italian's on point. Yeah. It's way better than my French. (laughs) (laughs) I think part of it's Latin, though. I don't think it's all Italian. (laughs) Anyway, this one actually holds up pretty well because there is actually like a published text that goes along with this tarot pack that was painted for this person. But it's only 16 triumph cards, so it doesn't cover the whole standard series. Mm -hmm. So it could help understand the sequencing of what our modern version of it is, but it's not exactly the same. There's this dude, James Da Sassole, from the late 13th century, who did this book called the Liber de Moribus Hominum et Officis Nobilium in which he drew characters of chess players. So some theorize that like maybe the same guy did paintings of the cards. Okay. Like So he did this whole illustrative sequence of like, this is a pawn and this is a bishop or whatever. So maybe he also did it for tarot, but that's kind of a stretch. And then there's just like some other, you know, assorted Italian books sure. that are adjacent, but not sufficient. But that's enough of the Italians. <laughs> Fuck them now. Let's talk about the French. <laughs> It's like really blowing my mind that this is like an Italian origin. Yeah. I, That's like really not something I saw coming. I feel like if I tell people that actively do tarot readings, this, they're going to be like, you're not correct. You don't know what you're talking about. You need to shut up. It it actually, it's interesting because if you look at like uh, Italian theater, like Commedia dell'arte, there's sort of similar patterns in terms of like having archetypes, right? Mm -hmm. So like in Commedia dell'arte, you have like, these are the lovers and this is the fool and whatever. So it does kind of parallel other elements of medieval and Renaissance Italian culture. Yeah, I just did, um, would not have occurred to me. Italy would not have been on the list of countries I would have uh, stated as the origin of tarot cards if I had to give a couple of guesses. That's because it came to the English-speaking world by way of France. As I mentioned, in the late 18th century, the French made this all mystical, that occultist Etiella made the first divinatory pack and instruction manual, including what sometimes is used for uh, cardomancy as the like upright or reversed. So like when you're laying out the cards, whether or not it's facing towards you or away from you um, has different meanings, according to this guy. Yeah. This is the dude who did the Egyptian symbolism tie-in. I'm not going to go into like all of the French shit that happens over the next hundred years because it's basically like and then this french person added this they fake just like went nuts with it and then oh, this wow. fake yeah <laughs> you know i'm not gonna lie this is actually very persona vibe like yeah it's truly all the personas are just like a wild mix of random shit from all mythologies across the world yeah like you'll be it running really around funny. with your team of here's barong from chinese mythology here's quetzalcoatl mm-hmm. um here's satan <laughs> And it's like, they're all on your Here's fucking team. fucking Titania from fucking A Midsummer Night's Dream. Yeah, exactly. This one's from Shakespeare. <laughs> and so it's like this crazy, just like, okay, but what if it's Egyptian and also Latin American and Eastern Asian? Let's have and all of those. also Lilith. 
Um, and also there's and a then, dick for some reason. There's like a demon sitting on a toilet. Oh yeah, the demon sitting on a toilet. Yeah. Anyway. Damn, y'all are way more familiar with these ancient monsters than I am. I'm just like, oh, these names <laughs> are not It's because that we've been playing, well, I've been playing and Sarah's been watching hundreds of hours I of also um, was that kid who was like so deeply into mythology when I was younger that I would beg my parents to take out. me to the half price bookstore so I could buy like one of those like here's everything you need to know about Greek mythology here's everything you know need to know about Egyptian mythology here's everything you need to know about Japanese mythology and I would like beg them to let me buy these books god damn plus Yu-Gi-Oh has a bunch of <laughs> Yu-Gi-Oh's very Egyptian <laughs> Yep. <laughs> uh, anyway, so I'm going to skip all that French shit. We're going to skip to English speaking world in the late 1800s, right around when croquet was taking off. Oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> was that a fun fact or is that relevant? <laughs> uh, just, it's just a callback to my speculative friction yeah. uh, episode. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> anyway. Uh, Arthur Edward Waite uh, of the Rider Waite Smith deck uh-huh. translated some French stuff and published The Mysteries of Magic. Okay, well, that's kind of like a little on the nose, I feel like, for a title. It is a little on the nose, yeah. They uh, The Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn was also established in 1888, um, and this helped popularize tarot for divinatory purposes. They also changed some of the theories of its roots and origins. Again, it's just like saying random shit that's not real, so we'll just... Let that lie. Anyway, in 1909, we get this Rider-Waite-Smith deck, which is the most common in the English-speaking world. Um, And they also publish an accompanying text for interpretation. So if you look up the Rider-Waite-Smith deck, you may recognize it. If you have ever seen a tarot card, these are sort of the standard issue ones that we know in the US. So now tarot cards, as you know, are sort of just like, I mean, depending on who you ask, obviously, they're sort of associated with new agey stuff. Also like Wiccanism for me i had like any friend that i had in like high school or college that was like wiccan also always did tarot stuff like i had like a friend who like did tarot readings for me in high school it's interesting because i've also known there to be that parallel but when i was doing research and i may just have missed it because honestly once you start doing research about modern stuff it's hard to pick out what's factual and historical versus like spiritual, philosophical, mythological. Mm -hmm. When I was looking into this, I didn't find an explicit connection between Wicca and tarot, but I have also noticed that. So maybe there's something that I I think it's just kind of like a shared interest thing. Like same thing with like astrology. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like it's not actually linked, but people who like certain like astrology probably also like tarot, probably also into Wicca stuff, probably also into like whatever. I wonder, this is again speculative, but if like this connects between like uh wiccan and tarot has like been existent throughout like just modern history or if like social media and the internet kind of really promoted that it's like oh if you click on this then you might also like this and like you naturally just have people that kind of fall into both of these camps because of just like their browser history wicca stuff is only from the like 1970s or something like that oh, okay that's when the religion was started so it's like really could new. have been from the beginning oh, yeah okay anyway basically the divinatory processes work through symbolism when you're doing a tarot reading so you like flip over the cards and the cards are assigned meanings and 
you know, you spread them out in different patterns and either you or a reader interprets them for you. Or your reader picks up a book and reads through the entire paragraph and just verbatim tells you what it says. Yes. Which, by the way, I started fucking around with tarot a little bit <laughs> in quarantine because of it's sort of like another way that it's used is sort of like meditating on your problems. Because if it's like, like the way I usually think about like what's going on in my life and how am I doing and where am I headed is often very obsessive and anxious and nonsense. So by having like a structured symbolic process it kind of helps me focus in without getting all the noise of everything else so that's another way that people use it it's also kind of fun because it's like reading your astrology like your horoscope yeah. stuff and it's like i don't really believe this but it's kind of fun to try to like think about what it could be connected mm-hmm. to uh incidentally there is like a card reader character in persona 5 oh. yeah the fortune teller <laughs> the most boring <laughs> one of all the confidants she's really boring well i've never gotten to the end of her thing yet i'm trying to turn that out in my new game plus before i get to the very end hers is by the way marcus for sure the most transactional one in that (laughs) it is like as far as I understand in the fandom universally agreed that hers is not interesting because of any kind of lore but because her perks of leveling up are really useful well they're not even that useful because by the time you get them it's like I don't know. Well, it's useful She's if you dumb. don't have a wiki to like look up what other people <laughs> oh, do. Oh, yeah, basically. that's true. But essentially, if you weren't it's like, using the internet to cheat, it would be useful. <laughs> right. So like hers is like the most transactional because it's like no one gives a fuck about her lore and storyline. It's that if you're friends with her, then it makes it easier to be friends with other characters. So uh, yeah, that's useful. I, so I'm going to be friends with you because I actually want to be friends with this other guy. You're a useful friend. Yeah, exactly. The most transactional of all the friendships. Uh, Yeah, that's true. Anyway, I want to talk about the symbolism of just a few of the minor art. Sorry, just a few of the major arcana uh, just a sort of a sampler and I'm going to take you through my preferred lineup for my Persona 5 team uh, you get to have four people on your team at once my preferred team is my best friend Ryuji my girlfriend Makoto and my boyfriend Yusuke <laughs> I want to point out, and by me, the way, obviously. that Matt Mercer, the guy who voices Yusuke, like, has been asked before, like, at conventions, if he thought Yusuke should be a romance option. There's only straight romance options in Persona. Uh, uh, yeah. And he was Cowards. like, uh, no, for sure. I thought he definitely should have been a romance often option. I, it's the, so much fucking sexual tension between you and this guy. He's like, let me draw you naked. Let's go to the art museum. I <laughs> bought you the a- planetarium. Wow. I bought you a nude statue as a memento of our time together. Do you want to keep it like- in your room? <laughs> I do. Dude, I have it in my room. You really laying the game on thick. Like you, Dude, you, he's <laughs> fucking at the end of he a is fight. By his hell his this pose boy. is like him doing this like undulating stand up. How body do I describe roll. it? It's like it's a body roll. It's like a oh, body really? roll thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Cause like they all have this like pose whenever you win a fight and they're the ones who like did the killing blow or whatever. And he does this like body roll and it ends with him like one arm kind of crossing the other one like up, like next to his face, kind Framing of framing his face. Yeah. As he, like, and it says, that camera. was fun. Goodbye. <laughs> uh, Your boyfriend, so you I'll start with, yeah, my boyfriend, he's the emperor, which symbolizes like stability, power, protection, uh, authority, that kind of thing. Um, when it's reversed, it symbolizes benevolence, compassion, immaturity, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, my best friend, Ryuji, the chariot symbolizes like war, triumph, presumption. Reversed, it's like riot, quarrel, dispute. Wow, this really matches. Yeah, exactly. Mm. They try to match it up with their personalities a little bit. Um, Makoto, amazing, amazing, amazing. Her persona for a while is a motorcycle. It's fully a wow. motorcycle. It's, it's everyone amazing. else has like monsters and she's just like riding a motorcycle. It's incredible. She's, yeah, oh, I love her. Anyway. Does the motorcycle have any like human aspects to it or is it just a straight up bike? It has like, a Okay. Yeah. And then it's leveled up form is basically a transformer. Oh, fuck yeah. (laughs) 
Which is disappointing. <laughs> uh, I gotta say, because then she can't ride it anymore. It's so good because when she does her like att- her nuclear attack, she like skids out the bike and like hits the monsters with it. With a and nuke. Then, uh, yeah. So hers, uh, the high priestess, who was maybe by the way based on Joan of Arc. Oh, interesting. Represents secrets, silence, mystery, science. Actually, well, she does have nuke powers. So yes, it's true. And then me, I'm the fool. That's often, as Sarah alluded to earlier, interpreted as the protagonist of the story. So. So that kind of makes sense. Stands for, as you might guess, folly, mania, extravagance, uh, or reverse like negligence, absence, carelessness. So basically, because all these cards have these associated meanings that are either prescribed through an instruction manual or sort of how you feel when you see them, depending on your process, you lay out these cards in a certain order and you try to use that to like make sense of your life or your future, depending on the sort of approach you're taking. So yeah, that's uh, basically everything I have to say about tarot cards. And my expert opinion for today is that uh, I should have been able to fuck Yusuke. And that's <laughs> my expert opinion. Thanks for listening to In My Expert Opinion. Please remember to rate and subscribe. We'd also be grateful if you'd leave a review with your expert opinion on why this podcast is rad. Five-star reviews will get a shout-out on the podcast. A pretty big deal, if you ask me. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at expertopspod or email in my expert opinion at gmail.com. Later, nerds. <laughs>